0: Podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I am your co-host Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is Samir Khan. What is up, Samir? How you doing?
1: Hey Jeremy, how's it going?
0: Happy not 2020.
1: No, happy bye-bye COVID. (laughs)
0: Yeah, hopefully bye bye COVID. Hopefully, yeah. Pretty soon, right? So we're excited today. It's getting hot. It's the almost the middle of the summer. Um, we were both just talking about this before starting recording that we're excited about upcoming family vacations and trips. But before that, we have a special guest on today—a uh, guy named Ian Cook. And I'm going to do a little intro first. But let's say hi to Ian first. Hey, Ian, how you doing? I'm doing well, thanks, guys. Yeah, recognizing a lot in
2: your in your intro there. Like we're we're heading out of the tunnel and uh, quite excited about that prospect.
0: Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. So- Ian Cook is the VP of People Analytics at Vizier, and we always get excited when we hear the word analytics. Um, We're basically today going to really nerd out. Um, We've pre-warned Ian that we're going to ask the hardest questions (laughs) he's ever heard. Just joking, right? (laughs) But it's going to be a lot of fun today. So let me first get in the intro. So what I have here, it says, so Ian Cook is an advocate for the crucial role that people play in helping companies thrive. His career is focused on enabling people, teams, and companies to perform at their best. For the last 20 years, Ian has been elevating clients, HR strategies, and programs through the effective use of people analytics. And at Vizier, Ian led the development of our market-leading solution, and now leads the overall strategy for people analytics business. Okay, this is pretty damn cool. Um, Thank you, and welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me on. I, 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 I'm in the right place as soon as that nerd out on analytics and what it means. And <laughs> you have the chance to riff on it. Yes.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm in. So, Samir, he, he just gave you the green light to ask some really tough questions. So, uh, Samir, don't hold back. Yeah, no, no, yeah, absolutely,
1: and, and you know, to get started, the ball rolling here, uh, and, and we always, uh, Ian, like Jeremy and I, like, you always go back and forth between our question and answer, but it's it's more of conversation, as Jeremy pointed out at the beginning. So why don't we start with? Uh, I, I spend time kind of browsing your LinkedIn profile, uh, learning what you have been doing. You you have a very successful career. You started as a consultant, and then you on went on to become a leader. Uh, in a fast-growing organization, leading people analytics. Uh, So can you share what we really don't know from LinkedIn about your career?
2: Oh, yeah, just going straight for the tough questions. (laughs) Something actually that I was, something that's not on there that um, I think is is kind of pivotal was I actually started life out of university, slap bang into a recession in the UK. So I had to make my own work. And so me and a buddy created an an event company and it was was sort of an adventure-based team events. And so I spent a long time driving up and down the UK with, you know, vans full of different kinds of kit, um, setting up these events for the power industry. Then I also, in reflection, I watched thousands and thousands of teams that either win or fail at the same task. Mm -hmm. And and that really brought me back to the the core of what what I do. What I do is like there's this massive difference between you know, just six people, they can completely suck at delivering the result, or they can be amazing. And like, and why? And what's that about? And that kind of triggered the fascination that then, you know, has pulled my career <laughs> in the various different directions that it's gone. So um, yeah, not many people know, I, I didn't start in any kind of traditional work, I uh, built a, built my first business, um, you know, straight out of university and moved on from there. But it was, uh, I learned the hard way, let's just put it that way. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm definitely going to be calling you uh, later. I'm going to be starting my dissertation soon and there's a people focus on there. So I'm going to be calling you. We'll uh, put you in the dissertation. Wink, wink. Nobody can see that. So, well, that but, yeah. works for me. Yeah, so that, for it, that's man.
1: interesting that when you say that, and I'm always very, very fascinated. Like, you know, you put, you put a team in an organization and if you have a similar team and a different leader with different organization, both teams, for the most part, are going to perform very, very differently. I'm always kind of fascinated by that angle of it. And people say, oh, you know, I'm going to hire the smartest people ever, and I'm just going to make this team the rock star A group of people. But then, at the end of the day, you know, the leader, at least in my view, the leader makes the whole difference and also the culture of the organization. I don't know what you think about that and what is your perspective on it?
2: Yeah, no, my perspective is is it's actually a question that people get wrong quite often. Um, you you see statements are like like we only hire A players, um, and and that's actually a really bad way to get performance. You you kind of need a blend of people. If you 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 stack up a team full of you know top quality talent that's all kind of super driven and ambitious, then wants to be first and everybody's kind of climbing over everybody else to get places. Like Enron would be a perfect example of like we only hire A players, uh, and so that there is that that dynamic of what's the right balance and. I also look at an organization more like a hockey team than a basketball team. Like we've only got so much money to spend. Like we don't have unlimited budget. We can't just pile cash onto people to try and get the result. We've got to make sure we manage it. And so, you know, I'm far more interested in the How do we get the best team on the ice you know, in the, the field of business at the right cost, mm-hmm. as opposed to just throw money at the problem. So, and again, that's, you know, why am I in people analytics? Like solving these problems, helping people understand and think about them, use them in business is—it's just there's so much to, so much to do and so much interesting work.
0: Well, okay, so maybe what I'd, I'd be curious about, even before you started your career, where was there some random job that you had, maybe like working in a warehouse or something like that, and then you know had one of those really terrible jobs that we've all had growing up, right? And then there was this epiphany, and you said. You know what i really want to get into people analytics or you were maybe i remember we were samir and i were interviewing one person and she worked at the gap in retail and she started to see the value of her engagement with her customers and how that could translate into marketing and analytics was there something that you did that translated into this
2: it, there was but it kind of came mid-career As i, I, I okay. wasn't smart enough to hit it day one but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and it's good because so the, the fascination for me was this whole um, you know, how do you build performance, looking at team dynamics, looking at mm-hmm. communication, as a whole soft skills element to that. And I kept running into what I define as the CFO problem. You you need to get it funded, you need people to, you know, give you money to do the work. And and this is back in the sort of 90s. And so you, you get everybody super excited by the potential, and then the CFO goes like, sounds nice, Ian, but why? Like, where's my payback? Why is this going to make money? That I don't like leasing arguments as people who know (laughs) me know. Um, But that that just kind of became the the stimulus, the impetus to to do better. I went back to school, learned the business side to go with the soft skills side so I can put this into dollars. I like so, that,
0: but you went back to school. I like that too. The ding ding. Yeah,
1: I like that too. A lot of people yeah. think that school's over when you get that degree in the hand. <laughs> no, no, but it all begins at right at that time, right? Yeah, and,
2: and, no. It, the first ten years of my career was just educating me about what I didn't know. <laughs> so, so did
0: did you have like a did you have a mentor? Would I mean at the time I'm say the 90s? It wasn't really this thing where you'd go and watch people on YouTube, and there were no Gary V's around. No,
2: there was. There's an individual called Jack Fitzsens who I think I would put as the the grandfather of the whole field. He, he started a, an organization called the Saratoga Institute uh, and they focused predominantly on benchmarking um, that subsequently bought by PwC and it's still in existence today. And so that was my first contact with people writing about the use of data and related to people to actually shape business. Um, but no, I mean, there's, there wasn't really a path <laughs> there wasn't the people on Lex 101 um, it wasn't even called people, Alex, at that point in time you know, as I got interested in it. So it's, it's really been – we've been creating the field. There's a, there's a crew of people like me, but we've been creating this field over the last 15, 20 years. And, uh, and so you
0: knew it. You're just telling me – because what I'm getting at is, is it clicked. And your personal drive – and I'm going to throw out something and we'll just assume that you accept this or not. But your stubbornness and your your unwillingness to lose – and to be told no, basically said, screw this. There's a better way to do this. I know there's an approach to this. And you basically, you figured it out.
2: Uh, yes, I think that's a that's a fair piece. I wouldn't say I figured it out my own. I think I figured it out along with lots of other really smart people right. with whole bits of pieces of experience. And, you know, lots of conversations of like, how do you think we should do this? Or like that really failed, you know? I, I remember I have some really great experiences of like sticking a chart up, but super excited. Like, look at this information, like, look at this, this is why, why are
0: we not, why are we using gut when we can look at data, right? It's yeah.
2: Like and then people would look at the chart and go like, but, but what is it, Ian? It's like, they, they, they just couldn't actually see what the, the story of the chart was telling. So lots of dissonant experiences early on to then try and connect in And it is like, why are we using gut and not using data? it's
1: a great way to put it. Yeah. It, yeah. And if, if you think about it, like, you know, one of the things that comes to my mind when I think about people, generally the only department that comes to my mind is HR, right? Uh, and the typical HR, the way they, and now this some companies start calling it talent management, but at the end of the day, they're doing the same function. Yeah. Uh, so how is this people analytics? It seemed like a really nice buzzword, but if you in your role at Vizier, like what do you guys do in this role? Like what is different from an HR perspective that you guys do?
2: Yeah, it's it's um so it's evolved a long way. Like the, the field started mostly um but people asking why. So we would start putting out numbers like you know here's our turnover, here's people who exited. And then you say well, well why did they exit? Because we'd like to stop them. So that then starts to become the the research project like what's driving the behavior that leads to exit. Um, and so that then takes you up into the strategy conversation with the CHRO, which then takes you to the strategy conversation with the business unit that cares about keeping good people. Mm-hmm. And so the field of analytics sort of started in the the measurement and counting space and evolved really from trying to answer that question of like why is this happening? What do we need to do to change it? And so okay. so now good people analytics teams often actually start in the business to say, you know, your people are make or break in terms of your targets for the year? What key pieces of people insight do you need to make your business better? And so they, they actually form a bridge in, oh. in many ways between the HR function of like, I'm hiring people and the business application of, of, of those people. Uh, and again, the more evolved ones are really informing strategy in terms of, you know the business wants to go this direction. It's like, well, we don't have the skills. We don't have the people in the locations we're hiring in. We'll have to really redesign our workforce if we're going to go and pursue that. So it's it's gone from the basic, you know, counting who started to some really sophisticated problems.
0: So, uh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. Go I on. was going to ask about that. So or, or do you feel like you're more, I guess the, the, these are all internal clients, right? All of your clients are internal within the company. Do, do you really feel like you're, you're actually coming back in educating seasoned managers on really how to manage and lead their teams? Do you, do you really feel like you're having to work with them to take a step back? It's almost like a detox of sorts.
2: Of sorts. Um, yes and no. Like it, okay. Invariably, invariably there's what we, we, we find, and it's a bell curve, as you'd expect, mm-hmm. there's 20, 30% of managers who are just desperate for this information. Like mm. They've been looking for a better way. They've been looking to have insight and data for a really long time. When they start to get it, because they're used to running their business on numbers, they know how to work with their people on numbers. And then there's a bunch of people who are extremely reticent. It's like, oh no, I know what I'm doing. I, I don't care what the numbers say, just leave me alone. <laughs> um, and then there's the poke in between where you are, you're educating, you're explaining, you know, humans are not robots, they have choice. Like you, it's not, a, it's not a very easy space to say do X and you'll automatically end up with Y. Mm-hmm. People's range of behavior is broad. So do a bunch of educating in those places. So it's it's a it's an interesting spectrum it makes it uh, for varied you have to assess who, who am I talking to when you sit down is it friendly, neutral or um, you know not so friendly
1: interesting yeah and I think uh, one of the things that uh, you kind of answered partially at least in the the last discussion that we're having about uh, the role of people analytics and then the people analytics leadership uh, it's always between that HR operational function what you alluded to was, that it is also a combination of research. It's just like any analytics initiative, you just don't go and drive conclusion off of it. You do a lot of research, you look at the data, you collect, first off, collect the right set of data set, and then you drive uh, research within that data set to come up with a hypothesis, like you know, maybe testing different hypotheses. Do you guys have a similar approach when you say operational versus research? Is that a similar uh, kind of initiative that you take, or is it kind of different from the normal data and in analytics initiatives?
2: No, I think it would fall into those, those very standardized categories. You know, most, most organizations that, again, that we work with would have like a a base load of of output, which is standardized, common, clear information that people need, promotion rates, diversity rates. It's, and, and the idea is to automate that. So you're not spending your time doing a lot of effort to create it. But then there's a, another layer that we sometimes call it strategic. It's really is that, that research layer It's like, well, why is this happening? Or if we um, right now, uh, this McKinsey released a piece saying like 11% of businesses think their operating model is going to persist for the next three years. Yeah. So that's an enormous amount of change, yeah. which means new teams, new work, new yeah. ways of work. So right now there's just a ton of that. Like, so who do we put together and can we automate this? Can we augment this? Can we outsource this? Or can we gig that? So there's huge amounts of research questions around the right, com- just the right configuration of people relative to the new world of work. So, and that's a research and that's kind of iterative mm-hmm. and in the business. Um, so so definitely layers.
0: So I, I, I just thought of this and I was just sitting there thinking, you know, when you look at a full digital transformation process you've got so many different elements and, and everybody always uses the same three people process technology and, and so on and so forth and stuff like that. When it comes into your experience maybe either advising, you know, clients or even internally at your own company, you know, w- w- how, how integral is, is the need for understanding the potential of teams and those people's analytics to really drive decisions? Because I think a lot of people say, well, no, 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 we, we need to get new technologies. We, we need to be innovative. And innovative is, is looking towards a future, you know, people can learn. We'll just assume they can learn and they make a lot of assumptions and we're going to talk about using that word the word ass or acid assumptions uh, yeah. you're making an ass out of yourself by saying no my team's just going to learn no it's, so i guess when it comes yeah. down to it, it's like what is really the role of people in in true digital transformation especially with covid
2: uh, it's huge and I, again you know we've seen just usage volume spike on a crazy basis because i think i think those were some of the assumptions for a lot of the re Structuring reorganization through the early two thousands, especially the last recession. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of what is probably more acknowledged and learned and understood is you you can't assume that people will pivot in the way that people did in the past. Yeah. So there's a, there's a massive wave in, in in reskilling. Like again, if you look on any you know primary newspaper right now, there's there's big talk about all the people who have to be reskilled because maybe now they're actually work, working hand in glove with a robot, some some element of automation. Uh, you know a number of colleagues who work in banking I think something like 90 percent of banking transactions went online and it used to be you know maybe 30 percent of banking transactions were online that's required a huge shift in their people and their ability to, to pick up different work and, and, and perform it over different ways so um, it's a m- massive shift and you can't assume you can't assume that people can automatically just adjust it will adjust over time but assuming it will adjust itself as a a recipe for disaster.
1: Well, that's interesting you say that with the transformation that's happening in the financial industry and other industries that's impacting the people. One of the questions that we had here is like, kind of what is the impact from a COVID-19 perspective on people analytics? Uh, And what steps uh, has your organization, you as a leader, uh, that you would like to share with their audiences that they need to take in order to manage people more effectively past COVID?
0: Do your pitch. This is your company pitch. pitch. Okay,
2: so two two really big things. Um, the the need for people analytics, like COVID, just just unleashed the the others. Some organizations going, oh, this people analytics thing, I'll get to it at some point. And there's been a lot of organizations in that wait and see. You know, COVID showed that the delay was just uh, the not the right choice. So. uh, the volume of organizations who are putting in people and building out practices and and getting on top of that is huge. So COVID has actually had a real kicker impact in terms of overall adoption of people analytics and and the the rate at which the field has evolved, like, like many things, you know, we're, we're kind of the future state. And so it's, we've moved five years and three months. And then the other key piece that's kind of happened through COVID that we, we see a lot of and we facilitate a lot of is, is the, the really listening to employees, like, you've probably experienced that in your engagement survey. And you know it's slowly been tailing off and people have slowly been moving towards more you know, timely listening. That's changed radically where um, people are being asked for their experience or being able to offer their experience in really modern ways through video technology, through um, other pieces, and then consolidating all, that all down. So you get a, a, a single view of the person. Who do you work for? When did you last get a pay rise? Uh, what job transitions have you had how do you feel about it all all of that then delivered out to the people manager so it's not that hr stuff for hr it's actually it, that hr stuff for the people who are managing the people so big transitions in terms of the scale and, and scope of the kind of things that answered and it's not all just what was in my hrs and like what's my head count we've moved so far past that you know just in 12 months so
1: yeah and shifts And I was going to say, you brought up that survey, the dreaded survey, man, a lot of people hate it, right? It's like majority of the organization that I worked in, and I'm pretty sure you and Jeremy, have the same experience like a lot of people don't like that survey it, no. it's just that they feel like oh just company does this massive survey one or two times a year and then nothing really happens and then nothing you just happens. waste your time wasted two hours in the day right yeah so how what is the different like what are the other approaches that organizations can take go past that uh, employee survey what, what other tools are available in the market today to do better job at this so
2: I mean, a couple of things that are around are like instant feedback. So just just like you would see in a website, like a little button on the right-hand side that says feedback. You know, you're going through a workflow, or you're in a piece of your job, it's like you hit a frustration point, boom, hit it, feedback. Other things are like video capture. So again, just have it live, have it on your phone, have it on your PC. It's like, I just need to tell somebody this. Um, and then the AI does all of the... Um, language scraping on the back end and says this person's sentiment is positive, negative, neutral. Here's some of the key points. And the key piece about that is that doesn't go into some central body that has to process and decide what to do that can tight cycle back to the people manager. Like here's the commentary from your team over the last week. And so you're not having to go through that massive processing loop to try and get people to take action off it. So it's, it's moved a long way. It's some pretty, pretty stellar stuff out there.
0: So with about a few minutes left, I, you know, I have a question before we wrap up with the final question. But let, let's say you're speaking directly to people managers. Let's say you're speaking directly to somebody who is a mid senior people manager um, going through, you know, the difficulty with COVID, trying to get people back in, trying to assess the their team's needs. What what's your advice? You know, what would you say to them? Because I'm sure there's there's that piece of advice you want to give people managers today. It's like, you can't something along the lines of like, stop, you know, stop thinking it's going to be normal or back to normal. Or or, what do you want to tell them?
2: Yeah. I think I I want to tell them two things. First of all is focus on the work. Like your your job as a people manager is not to control people. Your job as a people manager is to get the best quality output as possible. And there's a thousand ways that work can get done. So, so focus on the work and, and, Thinking, I was like, oh, COVID's over, great. I can just fall back into, you know, walking around the office and watching everybody like I used to. You know, if you feel that way, I totally understand it. I totally get it. Having led people, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. And yet, like, you're, you're giving up on a great opportunity to kind of reinvent how you really enable performance. Um, you know, I know from having been self-employed, when my best energy points are, and let me tell you, they're not after, you know, they're not from sort of noon till three in the afternoon. So when I started working for myself, I would manage my day that way. When I started working for somebody else and they're paying me for those hours, it's like, you know, I could get twice the productivity if I can actually decide when I'm productive. And, hmm. and so when you focus on the work and you, you focus on that outcome, you never let go of the outcome, that's imperative. But how you get there, there is so much more option if you let people, you know, drive it for themselves.
0: I like that.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh it, well, one one of my last questions, is, and Jeremy, you can wrap it up. Sure. Uh, my last question is in in your career in your professional and personal life, can you name a couple of people that you really feel is a part of a circle of influence in your journey?
2: Well, that's a that's a tricky question. There are so many. Good so, and bad. I'm asking you, if there's good and bad. If there's somebody oh. that really bad that
1: influenced you. <laughs> no, I mean really good. You like, don't you like, don't want to call their names, but that's no. fine. We're okay. no, no, <laughs>
2: Really good to be Jack ends um, uh, in terms of uh, like the, the, the possible path. Um, uh, and then I don't really, I can't really name them, but just the, the myriad clients, like literally there's, you know, 40, 50 people on ex-practitioners that I've had the privilege to be amongst as we've built this path. And, and every single one of them has either inspired, shaped, you know, added momentum to so that we can do this. Um, so there's there's really too many to mention. <laughs> and I, I would fear mentioning some because then I would miss out others and that would be a, a, a unfair. Enough. So uh, oh, yeah. it really is, there is a there's a, an amazing community that has helped to build this space and I'm, I'm proud to be part of it.
0: And so I guess I'll probe that one again. Is there maybe a description or a type of really bad person that helped you find your path? Because we've had many guests say, yes, I had this one manager that was, so terrible at X company, they don't have to say the name that really changed my trajectory of my career. And now I'm on the path because this person was so bad.
2: I don't think there was anybody that was so bad. I mean, I've definitely suffered poor people management, but I've also suffered some really inspiring people management. So in the end, it wasn't, wasn't so much as a moving away from as just a a pursuing this fascination and and having the chance to kind of find it. So very cool. that is a good
0: part. I think at the end of this I, I, I encourage our audience to reach out um, go check out Vizier I mean this is the thing is Samir and I do a lot of these podcasts with guests we talk about analytics driving conversion you know you know future thinking so on trends and all this stuff but we always forget that it's people that make these things happen um, I remember Samir that one about the financial services industry about being able to do trading, remember the AI and ML trading. But what she talked about was at the end of the day, it's the people that make the decisions. The AI and the machine learning educate the people on what to do. And it's all about building the right teams with the right mindset and so on.
2: Yep. Technology and people, that's the way to perform. I like it.
0: Well, this has been fantastic. Ian, thank you again for, for coming on to the analytics day podcast. Samir and I are always appreciative of, you know, great guest speakers. I think this has been great for our audience. We just have a a mixed bag of, you know, newer younger people versus seasoned marketers and analytics professionals out there. And this has been great for them. And I, I encourage them to reach out to you. This has been fantastic. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure being on. Great. Yeah. We're going to
1: post his details on the show notes uh, and, uh, so that way people can reach out to Ian or reach out to uh, his company, Vizier. So looking forward to future conversations, Ian.
0: Thanks, Samir. Thanks, Jeremy. No, no problem. And uh, thank you guys. And like I said, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to us with some guest uh, suggestions, uh, same way we found Ian and so on. So you know, uh, we'll keep on doing this as long as you guys want to